If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Husker fans. Welcome to episode 218 of the Husker Football Fan Podcast. I'm Mike Harvat. And I'm Justin Swanson. Today we learn about George Flippin with Dr. Paul Putz, the Assistant Director of Sports Ministry at Baylor University's Truett Seminary. You can find us on the web at huskerpod.com or by searching Husker Football Fan Podcasts on Facebook. You can also connect with us on Twitter by following at huskerpod or email us at huskerpod at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Central Nebraska Buffalo. Check out their website for their latest deals at cnbuffalo.com. Also brought to you by Monty Rohde with Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln. Looking to buy or sell a home in Lincoln or know somebody who is? Hit up Monty at 402-770-3356. It's been cold enough for you, Mike? I'm going to be honest. I'm staying inside so much. This cold snap we're having hasn't been affecting me too much. Um, That's probably not what you want to hear. Uh, friends, Justin is in his basement, and he is decked out in full winter gear inside his own home. Um, so I'm sorry to tell you that I'm doing fine, Justin. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an unfinished basement. It's the 100 years old. It's a little drafty. And uh, I'm chilly. We did I lose power chilly. last week. I don't know if you've had any power outages. We were not hit by the rolling blackouts here in Lincoln, I'm proud right to say. On. Yeah, we, we weren't hit by the rolling blackouts. Uh, somebody near our home about a week ago crashed into a transformer. And so everything, oh. everything on our block was out for a few hours, but then they brought it back up. But yeah, um, you know, Justin and I were recording here on the record-breaking cold day uh, here on February 16th. So um, if you're listening to this 10 years from now, um, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Uh, it's very, very cold. <laughs> It's so funny. I'm trying to get my kids to wear socks around the house. I'm like, this is the coldest day of your life. Maybe it will be for a really long time to come. Like, please. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying please to my kids. I'm saying wear socks. You must wear socks. (laughs) That's great. Your lips are blue, honey. (laughs) So uh, no better weather um, to stay inside and have a chat about Husker football. Yeah. Really interesting conversation this week. Uh, we talked with uh, historian Paul Putz about George Flippin. George Flippin was in the news with uh, Nebraska football back at the beginning of the football season when uh, the Huskers, I think, wore his number on the back of their helmet during the Ohio State game. And right around that time, um, uh, Paul r- wrote a thread kind of about Flippin's life, his time at Nebraska, and kind of what came after. And I think most of us are familiar with the way – uh, Flippin was kind of a trailblazer as far as being an African American playing uh, playing college football at, um, at a major university, and so uh, it was it was fun to learn more about him. But then something Paul was able to share uh, via Twitter, and then eventually through an article on Slate, was uh, you know it wasn't wasn't all positive. There were some some real challenges for for George Flippin as well. Kind of his time at Nebraska didn't end on a positive note. Uh, his time at the University of Nebraska, that is, um, 
well, I don't want to share too much. Uh, it was a really interesting conversation, and uh, we're excited to share it with you today. We are thrilled to have Paul Putz join us today. Paul is a historian and assistant director of the Faith and Sports Institute at Baylor University. Paul, welcome to the Husker Football Fan Podcast. Thanks for having me, Justin. It's good to be good to be connected back in Nebraska, even while I'm in Texas. Yeah, excited excited to have you. So, so you and I connected on Twitter back at the very beginning of the 2020 season. It was right around the time of the Ohio State game um, when I think all the Big Ten teams were trying to uh, honor uh, African Americans and and acknowledge racial injustice by doing something on their uniform or at the game or whatnot. And the Huskers had George Flippin's number on his helmet. And, and I had admittedly very knew very little about George Flippin. And right around that time, you had this great thread um, about him, about his story, which uh, eventually became an article for, for slate. And I thought that was really interesting. So I wanted to have you on today just to help our listeners learn a little bit about George Flippin. So um, curious, um, I guess, first of all, how you, what, what got you to dig into Flippin's story? Yeah, well, you know, the first thing, I guess, just as a, as a historian, obviously I'm, I'm interested in those sorts of stories uh, and, and if you're a sports historian, like I am, you know, understanding race um, as, a, as a part of the story of sports in the United States, it's, it's so central to how we view sports. So, you know, my interest on the one hand is because I'm a historian, but then as a Nebraska fan, I'm also interested in, in, in the Cornhuskers. And there have been, there have been lots, of, lots of people have written about George Flippin, you know, Randy York and Mike Babcock and, and you know, you name it. This, it's everyone has a sense, right, that, okay, Nebraska – had this, this black player in the 1890s. And it's sort of a sense of pride because mm-hmm. that's a long time ago, right? This is, yeah. this is 70 years before the civil rights movement and Nebraska has this black football player on its team. And so I think for a lot of people, George Flippin is sort of this, this symbol that we don't fully understand, but, but we, we sort of um, still point to him as, as representing maybe, um, you know, our, our aspirations and, um, good feelings about being a Nebraska Cornhusker fan. So, so those, those parts of it really fascinated me. And, uh, you know, knowing, knowing the full scope of his story, when I saw that Nebraska was the one Big Ten team that picked a specific person, this specific, you know, historical person to mm-hmm. honor, I was like, hey, I, I should, I need to jump in here, do a little bit more research to supplement what I'd already done. And then I just put it out there on Twitter to to share and see if other people were interested too. It's not it's not the first time Nebraska has honored him. I, we were we were talking here before recording Nebraska. We used to have those gates onto the field that had four players honored, and you know I consider myself fairly knowledgeable about Husker football. And I remember when those first were up, were, was thinking I don't know who any of these people are. Uh, George was one of them. Um, those are still they're hidden somewhere in the bowels of the West Stadium. I think fans can find them still. Uh, but anyway, it's not the first time. Um, he's been honored, but uh, still was kind of a, a fresh uh, or needed refreshing for many of us. So just where, how do you start, where do you start the story of George Flippin at Nebraska? I, for, for me, um, it's, it starts with, you know, and you mentioned that it's not the first time he's honored. So it starts with, with how we remember him actually. So it doesn't even start with Flippin and his, 
you know, in, in his actual lifetime, it's it's flipping as we think of him today. And so you mentioned the the gates. There's also been a, a mural. There's this project a few years back. I think it was 2016, kind of connected to MLK Day, hmm. where where they honored Flippin. And so, uh, again, where where is that? This was on the Nebraska campus. I think it was in one of the student buildings. Okay, I'm not familiar with that either. Huh. Yeah, yeah, it was. I don't know that it was tied specifically to athletics, and and so I don't know that it got a ton of promotion there, but just within sort of the Nebraska student body, they, they had a mural, had, you know, this, this way of honoring him. And so he's, he's someone who is mentioned and talked about and remembered. Um, and, and for me as a historian, one of the things that I, I like to do is I look, I look at how we remember people. And then I go back to the sources and say, does that reflect what they actually went through? Does that, does that reflect their life? So it starts with our remembrance of him. And then as a historian, I say, okay, uh, what what really happened, and you know his his story, um, the parts that I've looked into begins with him showing up on Nebraska's campus in in 1891, at the very start of Nebraska even having a football team. Hmm. So I think I think this is what makes him a little bit different than than some other black players at predominantly white institutions. Um, he's he's there really on the ground floor. Um, it's the fifth game that Nebraska's ever played in, in football, and, and, and that's his, his first game. Um, the first time Nebraska plays an out-of-state team against Iowa is George Flippin's first game. And so if, if we think of football as this game that, that represents a state, and in a lot of ways that's what college football does, especially at Nebraska, yeah. it's pretty remarkable that Nebraska's first college football game against another state. The first time Nebraska is saying, we'll take our state, we'll face off against your state. The best player on the field is a black player. And it's in the 1890s um, as, as segregation is actually on the rise, racism is rampant. And, and here is George Flippin carrying the banner for Nebraska. So that, that piece really, really remarkable. interested me. Remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. So where does the story go from there? Well, Flippin turns out to be a pretty dominant player. He's, he's, he's well-built. He's also a little bit older. And back then in, in college football, we didn't have the NCAA. There weren't a whole lot of rules about um, eligibility, how many years you could play. And, and Flippin, you know, he's, he's, he's not just an 18-year-old, right? He's in his 20s. He's, he's, they listed him in the newspapers. They said he's about 185 pounds. And later on, they'll mention him as being over 200 pounds, which for that, that day – someone playing halfback, especially like Flippin did, that's pretty well-built yeah. person. And, and so his, his style of play is this bruising physical style um, that, that really makes him, him stand out at a time when the game was a, a brutal physical game where you didn't even have the forward pass. So it was about physicality. It was about pushing the line forward. And, uh, and, and that type of game, Flippin really excelled. So he, he catches the eye of the press, uh, when they're playing Iowa in 1891 and in 1892 and in the, the years after, uh, most newspaper accounts of, of watching the team play, they point to Flippin as the best player on Nebraska's team. Hmm. And, uh, and I, I remember reading from your article that the opposing teams would, would really target him maybe as, as they might not another white player. Yeah, this is something – that's that's tough to get at for historians at times, right? Because on the one hand, football is just a game where people get hurt. I mean, this sure. we're talking about deaths happening on the field in the 1890s. I mentioned the violence. 
And so white players and black players, it's going to be a physical game. But what we've noticed as we look at just the history of black players at predominantly white colleges, and this goes, this extends beyond flipping, it extends even into the, the 1920s, um, maybe famously with Jack Trice from Iowa State, a player who's killed from football injuries. Hmm. Um, we can't say for sure that Jack Trice was, was targeted because of his race. We have pretty good circumstantial evidence that, that it was routine for black players to uh, face this, these sorts of attacks. And maybe it's a, you know, a late hit. Maybe it's people piling on, um, an extra vicious um, you know, blindside shot, things like that. That, that happened consistently. And so with, with Flippin, um, in, in his case, we can't you know, necessarily point to an obvious answer that racism is motivating um, the, the, the attacks and the tackles and the, the hard hits. But we do have stories that say that Flippin is the guy who takes the brunt of it for Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Flippin seems to be targeted. Now, maybe it's partly because he's the best player, that part of it. But also some of the excessive stuff is probably something to do with his race and the fact that the white players he's going against want to take out their anger on this black player. Uh, but, uh, I mean, he was, as I recall from reading your, your paper, he's pretty universally admired by his teammates, right? I mean, there, there doesn't seem to be ill will there, at least not as the, at least not what the record shows, right? That's right, yeah. We see, we see that his teammates um, you know, love playing with him um, he's, he's kind of, a, a, a you know, well-liked popular figure in the student body. You know, I pulled up some of those, those, uh, sources from, from his time at uh, Nebraska where they, they compose poems about flipping, um, in the yearbook, they have these poems about, um, you know, a, a, a high school or not a high school, but a college freshman who tries to tackle flipping and ends up getting killed. This is part oh. of the poem. We didn't happen in real life. We didn't. Oh, die in real life. okay. This is the poem. Gotcha. Don't worry. Yeah. That'd be breaking news 110 years later, but, uh, he's, he's, uh, he, he's, he's, he's kind of this beloved figure, um, on the Nebraska campus. His teammates seem to love him at least, you know, while, while he's, while he's playing, he's not in a position of leadership. He is recognized as one of the best players, but he's also just one of the guys. You can see him in the team pictures. He's often in the center of the photos. So he, he by all accounts, is admired and, and liked by the Nebraska teammates. And even, even when he's discriminated against, for example, when he's, he's kept out of a hotel in Denver, Colorado, or even in Omaha, Nebraska, where he's not allowed to, to eat in the same place as his white teammates, his white teammates go with him. So they hmm. say, if, if George Flippin can't, you know, enter into this establishment, then we're, we're not going to either. So there's, there is a camaraderie with his white teammates that we see from 1891 into 1894. And as I think the kind of the, the pinnacle of the story, at least as far as what we commonly talk about and where we usually end the story is he's actually named captain of the team following that, that season, but where you, you kind of went deeper and the kind of all news to me kind of stuff. And maybe to our listeners was uh, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily end on that positive high note. Can you kind of take it from there? That's right. So after the 1894 season, he is, he is elected captain. And this is a, a, a vote by the players to determine who's the captain. And it, it, it's, it makes the, you know, the newspapers because this is it's something that's, that's pretty rare. He wasn't the very first black player to be named a captain of a football team. There's actually a player uh, for uh, Harvard, um, who, who had been named a, a captain, played for Amherst as well, I believe. But it's, it doesn't happen very often. A yeah. black player at a predominantly white school. So Flippin gets elected captain. 
and the newspaper reports put it out there, but they also immediately put out stories about the fact that some of the players aren't comfortable with this and, and the coach um, at the time is, is not comfortable with this either. And so alongside this story detailing George Flippin becoming the next captain, there are stories about how the players aren't going to play for a black captain. There's stories about how the coach himself suggests that, that it was, it was all an accident um, that he even got elected captain. There's all these sort of ways to explain it away. They frame it as um, the result of this, this political fighting between rival fraternities, mm. which might not make sense in our context today, but back then fraternities were often heavily involved with, um, you know, picking their sorts of people to, to have roles on the football team. Football wasn't so separate as its own entity from the rest of the student body. And so there were a couple of fraternities, they wanted their guy to be named captain and, and the story went that because um, they were sort of deadlocked, Flippin sort of enters into the picture as, as uh, the, the compromise candidate of sorts and becomes hmm. the captain. But, but at the end of the day, the, the quotes afterwards reveal that there's also some blatant racism behind this. This, hmm. this sense that white players wouldn't play for a black captain. This sense that um, the, the, the coach himself says that Flippin doesn't have the brains to be the captain. Right. So there's there's these uh, these really uh, racially uh, charged racist comments that that are made um, denigrating Flippin's intelligence, um, even even taking the very thing that made him beloved as a player, which was his physical play and his, you know, hard, hard charging style. They would take that and they turned it against him. And all of a sudden that was a reason to not have him be the captain. They would say, oh, we don't want this, this brutal play to define who we are as a team. Um, and, 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 and so it really becomes, a, a, I guess, a regional story, even national in some cases. I found mm. newspapers from Louisiana that are, yeah. that are commenting on this. Um, and, and, and in the region, in Kansas and in Missouri and Iowa, these places that had actually seen Flippin and played against him, they're sort of surprised by it too, especially in Kansas. They're, they're, they're saying, look, Flippin is clearly their best player. Flippin is a standout individual. There shouldn't be any problem with having a black man as your captain. Um, we feel like this is just evidence of the persistence of racism. And so it becomes a referendum on, on race and, and the place of black people in leadership positions in, in American society. And, and so uh, that <clears throat> captaincy does not endure, right? Like that doesn't last. That's right. We know that by the time the 1895 season starts, Flippin is not on the team. Mm. Now, as far as the, the sources go about how that happens, we don't really have like a smoking gun piece of evidence to say Flippin was kicked off the team or to say he was forced out. So we know in December of 1894, he's elected captain. We know that the head coach of Nebraska is quoted in, in the newspaper saying Flippin will not be the captain. We won't let this happen. But we don't have sources of, of anyone following up on that. The next sort of uh, appearance we have in the newspapers comes from May. Um, we, we get some stories about how Flippin has chosen voluntarily, uh, this is May of 1895, to leave Nebraska. He's decided to enter the police force, actually. And so for a short time, he's, he's kind of involved with uh, Lincoln police and, and he's moved out of college. And the idea is that he wants to just enter into the workforce full time. So that's, that's the reason that we, we see given at least in our, our public uh, documents. But, 
At the same time, just the, the, the reaction to his captaincy, uh, the coach saying you are not welcome or wanted here, and then the fact that he doesn't stick around, but he does end up playing college football somewhere else, mm. that suggests to us that probably he, was, he, he, he felt pressured uh, to not accept this captaincy position. Mm. Um, so do, does he ever complete a degree elsewhere then? So he goes on and he enters medical school, okay. goes to Chicago. And again, I mentioned earlier, just the, I mean, this is like the wild west in, in, in the 1890s. There is, there is no NCAA. Um, there's not a lot of rules governing college football. And so Flippin goes and he's, he had actually played semi-pro football for a little bit. Really? He goes to this medical school in Chicago and he, he's able to pay his way through medical school by playing football for this medical school team. They, they essentially, you know, subsidize him and give him a scholarship to, to do it. Um, and it's, it's while he's playing for this medical school in 1897 with Chicago that Nebraska students start to criticize him. You know, again, three, four years before, well, he had been playing with the Huskers. He was a fan favorite. The yearbook is, is, is talking about him in poems. In 1897, he's involved in this incident in Iowa where there's almost a riot because Flippin apparently had hit someone too hard and um, possibly injured someone. And so the opposing players were really mad about it. And the fans wanted to storm the field and take Flippin out. And so newspaper accounts of this game get to the Nebraska student newspaper. And the Nebraska student newspaper publishes this story where they describe Flippin as a disgrace to college football. And they describe his brutal style as, you know, unbecoming of a, of a Nebraska Cornhusker. They weren't called the Cornhuskers at the time. And, and, and the newspaper really sort of distanced itself from the very person who had carried the banner of Nebraska four years before. Wow. Uh, so yeah, quite, quite the turn of events. Um, and so, so he, he does, so he did, he did finish college then and went on to the professional world. Did he, was he playing football at that time or was he done at that by the time he graduated? So after he finishes medical school, he's, he's done playing football as far as we can tell competitively. He ends up, you know, he finishes uh, school, becomes a doctor, moves back to Nebraska, eventually gets back to Stromsburg. And there's a really, uh, really good book by Kathy Nelson that, that details his years in Stromsburg, this small mm-hmm. town in Nebraska. Really fascinating account of, of a black man living in this uh, white Swedish community and um, kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a revealing look at, at what that was like and the, the burdens he had to carry, but the life he was able to create in, in uh, Stromsburg. So he does come back to Nebraska. He's a doctor and he's involved in the state. He's still, you know, roots for the football team and is interested mm. in the football team over the years. Mm. And, you know, by the time he dies in the 1920s, the sports writers, you know, they, they talk about his old days and they have these memories of the glory days of George Flippin in the early years of Nebraska football. So by the time he dies, a lot of the, that, that tension, the, um, you know, hostility to him becoming a captain, that's really forgotten. And it's not mentioned that that part of the story sort of swept away. And instead he, he becomes this kind of mythical figure of a black man playing football for Nebraska, getting attention for his physical style of play. And the, the racist elements to it are, are not talked about much. Did he, uh, did he have a family? Are there any ancestors alive today? Yes. And, and again, that would be uh, where, where the Stromsburg book I mentioned earlier, Kathy Nelson's book, okay. 
gets into his family life and uh, cool. you know the, the the legacy that he left there. Uh, and so he was a pioneer in terms of African Americans playing uh, college football at Nebraska at state institutions. Do you know? Did Nebraska like was he the first of, of many, or was he the first and then the last for a long time, or what? What was the legacy in that respect? He's the the first uh, football players we talked about, and and there are a couple that follow after him. By nineteen fourteen, that that the the handful of black football players who had been allowed to play, it essentially it it stops. There there had been a few after flipping. And I, I believe Clinton Ross um, was the the last one uh, in that that early period of black players. Um, after he's done, really at the start of World War One in 1914. After he's done, Nebraska doesn't see another black football player until 1951. So if we oh, think wow. about it, there's there's 30 years that pass between these handful of, of black football players in the early years. And then when black football players reintegrate the Nebraska team. Hmm. Where does the, I don't, I don't know where to go with it from here. I mean, what's, what's, what, what's the lessons learned? I mean, what, what's your takeaways as a historian from the life of George Flippin and his impact on Nebraska football? I think, I think one of them is to just see history as not an inevitable progression towards hmm. greater equality and, um, you know, uh, greater progress or whatever you want to frame it. I, I think sometimes, especially in sports, we like to think of it that way. And, and the Jackie Robinson story is, is you know, maybe one of the ways we see this most often. Um, we, we think of Jackie Robinson as the person who integrates sports. And in a lot of ways, he's, he's ahead, of his, ahead of his time in terms of American society because Jackie Robinson integrates Major League Baseball before the civil rights movement really gains steam. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. himself talked about Jackie Robinson as a freedom rider before the freedom rider. Mm -hmm. So that that idea that sports paves the way for greater progress, it's really persistent in how we how we perceive the value of sports. But I think what Flippin's story reminds us is that what happens in sports doesn't necessarily lead to change outside of it. You might have, you know, an athlete like Flippin, and they're often treated as the exception to the rule, or you might find that you can cheer for him as a football player, but that doesn't mean you're going to live in the same neighborhood as him. It doesn't mean you're going to let him be your captain. It doesn't mean you're going to, um, you know, um, make sure that other forms of, of, of racism or, or segregation or what have you um, uh, are going to be swept away. And so there's, there's limitations to sports as a form of, of social progress. And sometimes there's, there are even ways that, that we have setbacks, you know? So you could have this period where you do have black players playing for Nebraska, which happens, but at a certain point, Nebraska is forced to make a choice. And this happens with, you know, we could say this happens to a lot of throughout American history with a lot of white Americans. At a certain point, white Americans are forced to make a choice. And your choice is, Will we side with more of the segregationist side or more of the, 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 the side of those who are a little more hostile to black people? Or will we side with black people and people of color? And throughout American history, almost always, most white Americans chose to side with 
other white people, even if they were, you know, further to the extremes when it came to race. That's what we see with Nebraska. Nebraska gets in, involved in, 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 a, in the conference, the big six, seven, and the, then the big eight. And in that conference, they have teams further to the South, like Oklahoma and Kansas and uh, Missouri. Kansas would have been similar to Nebraska in, in its racial views, but Missouri and Oklahoma. And those, those schools were not going to allow black players to play. They weren't going to have them on their teams. They weren't going to play against them either. And so Nebraska can choose to say, I won't be in a conference with a team that is segregated, with a team that won't play an integrated team. Or Nebraska can say, I will be in a conference and I will segregate my team so that I can be in that conference. Hmm. And what Nebraska chooses to do is segregate its own team. Hmm. They, they decide that to play the Oklahomas, to play the Missouris, they won't include black players. And Nebraska is not the only school that does this. This is, this is a theme in American history. Um, you know, if you, you study what happens after the Civil War, um, ultimately a lot of white Americans from the North and the Midwest, even if they personally wouldn't have said, I'm a segregationist, when push comes to shove, they side with segregationists um, when they're forced to choose at least um, over supporting and advocating for African-Americans. So I think the story of George Flippin is that it's a microcosm of, of choices that, that white Americans, even maybe well-meaning mm. white Americans have made when it comes to race. And, and, and then the fact that it takes you know, 30 years for Nebraska to reintegrate, for them to have black players competing again, that also tells us something about the, the, the persistence and the long-lasting um, presence of segregation on Nebraska's campus. Do you have a sense of, uh, we're getting well after Flippin's life here, but do you have a sense of what changed for uh, black players to be welcome in 1959? It was uh, 1951, so it was a little, little earlier. And um, World War II is huge. Mm-hmm. World War II is huge. So this is this war that the United States is fighting against Germany, right? And, and, and against Japan, but, but Germany especially. And Nazi Germany is defined by its belief in racial superiority. Nazi Germany is saying, you know, we're, we're a race of, of superior people and uh, those who are Jewish or um, non-Aryans, um, they're, 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 you know, they're, they're not at our level. And so as the United States is fighting Nazi Germany, they're realizing, hey, if, if we are supporting democracy, if we are trying to fight against racial supremacy, then we can't have that present in our own country. Because the fact is the United States, as they're fighting this war, they have segregated troops. They're allowing black people to fight in the war, but they're segregating them and their troops. They have segregated uh, societies in the South. And so if they're going to, to, to fight a war for freedom and for democracy, there's this push in the United States to actually be a democracy, to actually allow racial inclusion. And, and sports is a way to do that, right? It's Jackie Robinson signed in 1945. And in 1947 in Major League Baseball, um, he's there uh, reintegrating Major League Baseball. In different college sports, we start to see Northern schools, instead of segregating their teams to make Southern schools happy, they start to say, no, black players are going to play on our teams mm. and the Southern schools will have to be the ones that change. So there's, there's a shift after World War II that um, and it's led by students in some cases, it's, it's led by black athletes and black activists to integrate and to, to reintegrate Northern schools, and then eventually uh, Southern schools as well. And Nebraska and other schools are part of that. They um, pick up on, on, on this idea and, and, and allow for a, an opening for, for black players and players of color to compete. And so by 1955, four years after Nebraska reintegrates its football team, 
the Nebraska team actually goes and they play in the Orange Bowl. And they are the, the first integrated team to play in this game. This is, this is in Florida in 1955, one year after Brown versus Board of Education, which is the law that, that uh, finally declared that, that segregated schools are unconstitutional. It's just one year after that. And Nebraska football is integrating the Orange Bowl. So, you know, uh, Nebraska in, in some ways moves to the forefront. Hmm. Um, we don't want to give them credit as a predominantly white school. They were segregated for 30 years. Yeah, right. But after they, you know, after they, they, they move in that direction, they do move to the forefront of some of their white uh, peers in terms of, of integrating places like the Orange Bowl, in terms of inviting black players onto the team. And by the end of the 1960s and early 1970s, Nebraska football is led by black players. They're winning national titles with black players and they're beating schools like LSU who are still segregated mm. with an integrated team. So Nebraska definitely shifts um, in terms of its, its composition, in terms of um, welcoming black players pretty, pretty remarkably by the, the 60s and the 70s. Oh, that's, that's cool. It's, it's, it's really great to hear that you know there are things to be proud of, uh, but also to recognize there's things to not be proud of and um, it's, uh, that's really interesting. What, what was it about? Why Nebraska? Why is Nebraska on that forefront? Um, when they go to the orange bowl, why not Kansas or, you know, some NYU or I don't know what, what some other school, why Nebraska? You know, it, it could have been, um, other, other schools would have been similar in terms of their, their time frame, their timeline. So, you know, a, a school like Kansas, if they would have had black players and been invited to the orange bowl. Um, oh. they, they, they would have been a school, right. To, to, uh, to, to integrate these, um, the, the bowl game. So it's not necessarily that Nebraska did something Kansas wouldn't have done, but I would say Nebraska was in an opportunity that, uh, if Kansas would have had, I think they would have done the same thing by 1955, certainly. So, so again, Nebraska, um, I, I don't want to say that they're like, you know, on the moral crusade here, cause that's not the okay. case at all, yeah, yeah. but there are opportunities where they get to, uh, move to the forefront of some things. Uh, whereas in the past they had decided to, 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 to go along with segregationist tendencies in American society. Hmm. Wow. Well, I, I'm uh, looking at the clock here and I know we're coming up against the time that was available. So I uh, just want to say, Paul, thanks so much for, for speaking with us. This has been uh, really interesting and uh, appreciate that historical perspective that uh, a nuanced historical perspective that I think is so often missed in, uh, I don't know, society today. <laughs> Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And what you, you know, what you said earlier about recognizing, you know, some things you can be proud of, recognizing things to not be proud of. That's uh, as a historian, I kind of compare it a little bit to to watching game film uh, sometimes mm. versus watching highlight film, right? Mm. So, like, you know, if if there there is a time and a place for the highlight film, sure. there's no doubt. Like, you want to feel good about yourself, so let's pick out those great moments from the past and let's watch them and let's affirm you know, some good things we can point to. And so what highlight films, we can use those, right? But the highlight film deceives. If you just watch the highlight film, you don't actually know what's going on. You won't actually be able to improve. And so I think, you know, as, as we look at Nebraska's past, when it comes to sports and football and you name it, I think we want to like take the game film approach. We want to say, let's actually get the full scope of it. Let's get the nuance, like you said earlier. Let's, let's, let's not just play the highlights but let's actually figure out, are there things we can improve? Are there things that we should realize we messed up? And then that will allow us to move forward in better ways. So, so that's, you know, that's the kind of my approach as a historian. 
highlights are fine as long as the game film is what you you focus on the most. Awesome. Great. That's a, that's a great analogy and I think a great place to leave the conversation. So Paul, thank you so much. We'll be sure and uh, tweet out your Slate article along with this, this link. Is there any uh, social channels where people can follow you to catch some more uh, Husker history periodically? If uh, Twitter, probably the best way. So if you want to follow me, it's P, the letter P underscore Emory, E-M-O-R-Y. I created my Twitter account back when I was a high school teacher at Millard North. And so I didn't use my full name. I thought my students wouldn't find me that way. <laughs> I just kept it ever since. So yeah, it's uh, P underscore Emory. And college football season comes around. You can bet there will be some, some Nebraska football threads for sure. Got any predictions for the Huskers in 2021? I'm predicting that uh, that that Nebraska fans are, are going to, um, by the summertime, they're going to convince themselves that this is the year that everything turns around. And there are going to be stories in the newspaper about how hard the teams work. The culture has shifted. It's actually good that Robinson left. Um, <laughs> I'm predicting that, that we're going to forget all the lessons we've learned from the preseasons for the past four years. And we're all going to be fully bought in. Um, so I'm going to predict that. As far as the football on the field goes, I don't know. I feel good about the defense. I hope the offense can pull it together. The schedule's tough. Um, but as an optimist, I'm going to say that we finally get our winning season. We're going to a bowl next year. Let it, let it be so. I love that uh, historian's take on how uh, Husker fans are going to react in the coming years. It's what we do. It's just what we do. It's how we're it's wired. what we do. That's right. After so much winning for so long, you know, you just get used to it and you expect it. So, well, Paul, thanks again so much. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you so much to Dr. Putz for joining us on the podcast and and sharing um, sharing I think an, a really important story with us. Um, I'll be honest, Justin, I didn't know anything about George Flippin before uh, you brought this to me a few weeks back. So you know, I'm I'm thankful to to learn something today. You know, the, it's not every day where. Uh, Mike Harvett learned something on the Husker pod, <laughs> but uh, I did today, so that's awesome. And uh, just just really generous with his time, uh, a generous conversationalist. I don't know if you caught it, Justin, but um, you could tell he was a teacher in the way that he responded to some of the comments that you were making. You know, he'd say, "That's right," oh, and really? then continue. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I thought it was like, yeah. "Oh, that's that's good." <laughs> that's great. Yeah. No, really fun to talk to him, and he obviously got the Nebraska connection, so um, appreciate a historian with that connection as well. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Dr. Putz, and uh, hope we can find some some reason to have him back on the pod soon. That'd be wonderful. Uh, you know, one more thing I want to add to the, the conversation here. Um, Paul and I talked a little bit about that 30- to 40-year gap where there were no African-Americans on the team, and um, Paul kind of had some speculations and uh, a little bit of understanding about what might have happened in that time. There's actually, uh, coincidentally, just this last week, a really great article in the uh, Daily Nebraskan by Jason Hahn where it's called Clinton Ross and Nebraska's 40, near 40-year ban of black athletes. And uh, he really breaks into breaks down what what went into that, why it happened um, in, in much greater detail. So we'll be sure and uh, tweet that link and post it on fa- Facebook as well so uh, y'all can have that gap filled in. Sure. And if you're listening to this on uh, Libsyn, our hosting 
podcast host. Uh, I'll also add that to the show notes, so you can probably just click on that, and it'll pull up too. If you're listening on Spotify, you can do the exact same thing. You can just uh, go to the episode and, and read more to see all the, the details in the show notes there, and you can click on those links there. Awesome. Love it. Uh, you know, we were, we were talking about the extreme cold to start our episode off. I I saw some of the footage from Central Nebraska Buffalo. Those Buffalo, they just love it. They're out there, like, scampering, frolicking. I mean, they're they're tough. They're hardy. I'm sure right now they're probably all bunched together, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think they're just like, bring it on, cold. Yeah, that's possible. I laugh in the face of danger. <laughs> I feel that way when I've got bison in my belly. So, you know, and uh, no better way to that do that protein than in your... coursing through my veins. <laughs> I was going to say, and if you are somebody who lives in a home that you are deeming too cold and too drafty at this point, maybe it's time to consider buying a new home. And if that's the case, uh, you know, we're going to recommend that you reach out to Mr. Monty Rohde with Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln. Again, his phone number is 402-770-3356, or it's monty.rohde at prglincoln.com. That's M-O-N-T-Y dot R-O-H-D-E at prglincoln.com. My wife asked if I was going to record in the kitchen, and I was like, no. That, that room's too live. I'm committed to this show. I'll be in the basement. I appreciate the sacrifice that you have made to make this um, podcast have the highest audio fidelity possible given the present circumstances. I care. I'm giving, I'm sacrificing my body for this podcast. So friends, if you care, it's time to finally commit and leave a five-star review on iTunes for the Husker Pod the time has come. Justin is sacrificing his comfort for you to enjoy this podcast. Sometime this week when you're cozied up next to the fire, maybe you're at work, working from home, who knows, but you're going to have his sweet, sweet tones whispering in your ears. So pay him back with a five-star review. You might be overstating my tones, but <laughs> I'll take it. Hey, Mike. Go Big Red. Go Big Red. The Husker Football Fan Podcast is an unofficial, non-commercial podcast and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. The views expressed on this podcast belong solely to the individuals expressing them. The Husker Football Fan Podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with the Nebraska Cornhuskers or the University of Nebraska. Nebraska.